Uh, we're resuming from where we left off in the treaties for the seekers of guidance of Imam al-Muhasibi and we had just finished the very opening so we had just uh, done the opening of the text and then he talked about uh, this being guided to the straight path and following the straight path and, and holding tight to the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Perhaps this is a good time for a reminder that there is a difference between inspiration and mm, how should I say this? Maybe I shouldn't say it that way. I should say that when we are trying to learn things in order to benefit ourselves in our own personal journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are not always looking for things that are new. Okay. So I think part of the psychological training that we have at this point is that we're always looking for things that are new. Like some new kind of fresh take, some angle that we never heard before. And of course, you know, that's nice from time to time. But the reality is that when we're looking for guidance for ourselves to follow, the guidance is kind of the guidance, you know? Like hopefully we'll get a reminder, something that will help us in our journey and, and kind of like stick with us that say, okay, yeah, that's something I need to focus on or that's something I need to carry with me through this week until next week or whatever else it might be. Uh, but things are not always new. So, it doesn't come as a surprise that he starts off his text about seeking seekers of guidance that they should follow the sunnah, right? I mean, that's pretty standard follow the sunnah type guidance, right? You know, everyone should follow the sunnah of the Prophet And so, just as I say that and as other things come up, I remind ourselves of this because I think especially in Southern California, we kind of have this culture, you know? Uh, and that's okay. Like, it's nice to hear from people and to benefit from something that's new and fresh and inspirational and hear from someone you don't normally hear from and stuff like that. It's kind of like there's a, there's a refreshment in it, right? But also like true spiritual development, there's kind of a, a little bit of a monotony to the day-to-day -day of it, right? And that's why we've talked about before uh, the, the documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi. You guys remember that? How many of you have seen that? Yeah. Jiro Dreams of Sushi is a good example of the the, the sacred monotony, right? Like, you learn how to make rice for years, <laughs> and then you get to cut a little bit of fish, you know? <laughs> it's like, he's, and then you do that for years, and then you'll cut the fish and present the fish for 30 years, right? And every day will be new to him. So there's an embracing of the, the, monoton the, the sacredness of the monotony of it. Like, we're going to pray our five prayers every day. Inshallah, for, we're going to pray our five prayers, inshallah, every day for the rest of our lives. 
and there's not going to be anything new about it. It's going to be dhuhr. <laughs> you know, like, and it's going to be maghrib. The most you might get is a really nice recitation. But at the end of the day, it's going to be three rak'ah, and the other one's going to be four rak'ah, and the other one's going to be two rak'ah, and there's going to be some sunnah, and you're going to fast in Ramadan, and it's going to be the same 29, 30 days that you fasted the Ramadan before. But what changes is the quality and the state of the heart that all of that is coming from, right? And so that's where the real life of these things is. And this is, we shouldn't look for something in the wrong place. So sometimes we look for things to come to life by hearing something new. But it's not actually hearing something new that brings, sometimes that might help us bring it to life, but the, really the life has to be in the heart. If the heart is alive, then it will be like, yeah, you know what, subhanAllah, I do need to follow the sunnah of the Prophet And I have heard that about 463,221 times. And yet, I still do need to follow the sunnah of the Prophet right? it's, So this is where he starts. Then he continues, وَاعْلَمْ أَنَّ فُرِيدَةَ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ أَنْ عَامَنُوا بِمُحْكَمِهِ مِنَ الْأَمْرِ وَالنَّهِ وَالْخَوْفِ مِنْ وَعِيدِهِ وَالْرَجَاءِ لِوَعْدِهِ وَالْإِيمَانِ بِمُتَشَابِهِهِ وَالْإِعْتِبَارِ بِقِصَصِهِ وَأَمْثَالِهِ فَإِذَا أَتَيْتَ بِذَلِكَ فَقَدْ خَرَجْتَ مِنْ ظُلُمَاتِ الْجَهْلِ إِلَى نُورِ الْعِلْمِ وَمِنْ عَذَابِ الشَّكِّ إِلَى رَوْحِ الْيَقِينِ قال الله جل ذكره Allah Okay, so this is the passage we're going to spend a little bit of time on. He says what? He says, no, that the obligation of the book of God is to act upon the clear guidance that it contains with, with regards to commands and prohibitions. That's number one. And to have fear of the threats that are in it, that's number two. Number three is to have hope in the promises that are in it. And number four is to submit with belief to that which is ambiguous from the guidance that's in it. Uh, what was that? One, two, three, four. Five is to take heed from the stories and parables that it contains. Okay. So the first is to act upon that which is clear from its commands and prohibitions. So what he draws upon here is this idea of al-muhkam al-mutashabih. Al-muhkam al-mutashabih. It's a very important idea in the Qur'an. It's also a very important idea in terms of our psychological makeup. Okay? So what is this saying? This is saying that in the Qur'an we have verses that we call muhkamat. And we have verses that are called mutashabihat. This is in the beginning of Surah Ali Imran. Uh, uh, how does it go? Uh, hmm? So this verse mentions it. It says, As for those who have a sickness in their hearts, then they follow and they seek after that which is ambiguous from it. Uh, and and they they seek its interpretation and they seek to kind of like play games with it essentially. Uh, but those who believe, they say we believe in what's everything in the book. We believe in it. And uh, this is a bad translation, but 
the idea is that there are verses that are mutashabih and there's verses that are muhkam. Muhkam means it's very clear. Okay, so Allah says, Laysa kamithnihi shay, that there's nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's very clear. Nothing is like Allah. Allah says, Aqim uh, salat. It's very clear. Establish the prayer. You establish the prayer. We're good. Allah says, some things are very clear. Other things, what the idea here is that other things, they're a little bit hard to understand what they mean. So, uh, for example, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُبَيِّعُونَ اللَّهَ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُبَيِّعُونَكَ يُبَيِّعُونَ اللَّهِ يَدُ اللَّهِ فَوْقَ أَيْدِيهِمْ How does it go? Anyways, the point is, those who give their allegiance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or to you, they give their allegiance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يَدُ اللَّهِ فَوْقَ أَيْدِيهِمْ uh, I shouldn't do this actually when I'm saying that. They, and then it says, Yadullahi uh, aidihim that the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above their hands. This is unclear how to understand it. Because what does it mean that Allah has a hand? Right? So what they say in the Quran is always whenever you have something that is clear, you make that the standard by which you understand what's not clear. So when I'm trying to understand what does it mean Allah's hand is above their hands, I have to go in my understanding of that to that which is clear, which is nothing is like Allah is not like anything. So that means that whatever this means in terms of hand, it's not a hand like our hand. That's why I said you shouldn't do that. When I'm, that's actually a big mistake. Um, that you shouldn't do that when doing those kind of things because whatever hand this is, it's not like our hands. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now you have something that's unclear, you understand it in the light of what's clear. Okay? Why I said this has major consequences psychologically is because this is also in other things in Islam, some of them are clear, some of them are not clear. Like it's clear, for example, that we're supposed to think well of people. It's clear that we're supposed to give people a chance. It's clear that we are supposed to forgive. It's clear that we're supposed to be patient. It's clear that we're supposed to be grateful. It's clear that justice is important, so on and so forth. These things are very clear. And then there might be other things we're not really sure about it. And when we're not sure about it, then we should understand whatever it is that we're trying to understand in light of what's clear. Okay? Uh, psychologically in our lives this happens too. And we live in a time, subhanAllah, in a place where people tend to be really uncertain about things. And they have a really hard time making decisions. And uh, they have a really, and sometimes we have a really hard time navigating conflicts and stuff like that. And all of these things, one of the major principles that we can use is we go back to that which we know. Okay, so I'm not sure if I should do this or I should do that. What do I know about these things? What principles underlie these things? That okay, I'm not sure if this person did this because of bad intent, or maybe it was just a mistake. Okay, well, the default assumption is that there wasn't bad intent. So I'm just going to try to clarify that and see what happens afterwards. I don't know what's going on. Uh, and then we'll deal with it accordingly. But just try to think about this. Like, what do I know? What is the foundational principle that I can follow? What's the lowest common denominator, essentially? And then I can work from there. Okay? Uh, so following that which is clear from the commands and the prohibitions of the book. Number two thing was having fear about the threats of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are threats, right? There's a threat of punishment and then hereafter there's a threat of destruction for people who don't do what they're supposed to do. There's a number of threats in the Qur'an. We should have fear for them. It's, it's okay. 
uh, just, we shouldn't, our fear shouldn't become so much that it paralyzes us. But there is some fear that's necessary. Um, the, the third one is that there is a hope for the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we have hope. Allah promises victory for the believers. Allah promises reward in the hereafter. Allah promises any number of things in the book, in, in, in His book. And we try to follow them. And then the fourth thing He says is that we have iman in that which is unclear. So again, if it says uh, the hand of Allah is above their hand, then we just say we believe in this. You know, we, have, we have belief in it. And whatever it means is whatever it means. Allah said it. I believe in what Allah said. And there's nothing like Allah. And I'm good. You know? uh, and then number five is that the stories and the parables that are in the Qur'an, that we take heed from them. Okay? He says afterwards, he says, If you did all of this, then you will have left from the darknesses of ignorance into the, into the light of knowledge. Uh, one of the things that's always said here and is interesting is the darknesses of ignorance and the light of knowledge. The, the, the darknesses are plenty, but all of them are ignorance. And the light is singular because it's what comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if, if we're able to do these things that are said there, you know, believe in the book, believe in the promises, have hope in the promises, have fear about the punishment, take, take lessons from the stories, then if we do that, we will have left darkness and we will have gone into light. And, he says, and you will have left from the punishment of doubt and entered into the mercy of certainty. It's a beautiful expression. Right? You have left the punishment of doubt and entered into the, uh, the ease the ease and, and tranquility of certainty. Uh, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Allah is wali. Allah is the wali of those who believe. He takes them out of the darknesses into the light. Allah is the one who takes care of those who believe. He takes them out of darknesses into the light. Uh, that expression is really interesting, isn't it? Because we've seen it, right? Perhaps we've seen it in our own lives. Perhaps we see it in the lives of people who are close to us. But there's a level of like uh, punishment that comes from doubt. You know? it's, there's like a, uh, the being lost in a sense like that. I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I should do that. Should I go this way? Should I go there? I don't know if this is really right. I don't know if this is really wrong. And then you end up in a very like uh, just hard to decipher existence. And there's a pain to that. But the, the reality of, of certainty and belief in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, then that actually produces some level of ease and some level of tranquility. Okay? Uh, here in the footnote now, he has a really long sidebar. And the sidebar is essentially... Is a person able to uh, purify themselves and guide themselves, or are they in or are they in need of a guide? Okay. And uh, <clears throat> it's it's quite long. He goes back and forth, but the idea here is this question: Am I able to do this myself, or do I need someone who's going to help me on that journey? And one of the things that Sheikh Abdul Fatah argues here, he basically argues that if a person is sincere and they have taqwa and they have some level of intelligence and they have some level of self-discipline, then 
they might be able to do it themselves without like a sheikh who's guiding them and so on and so forth. It's interesting. He goes, he, so he, he brings different verses from the... Uh, basically what he's arguing is that the Qur'an and the Sunnah say about themselves that they are sources of guidance. And they say about themselves that they're sources of purification. So isn't it? So if someone follows them and they follow the Quran, they follow the Sunnah of the Prophet shouldn't that result in some level of guidance and some level of purification? So that's the argument that he he brings here. And then he brings this interesting letter. Uh, the letter is from Imam al-Shatibi, who lived in Granada. And um, he sends this letter to Ibn Abbad. Uh, in Qarawiyin so uh, or in, in Fas okay? so obviously between Morocco and Spain they're very close right? So civilizationally when the Muslims were in control of Spain there is a very close connection to Morocco and to West Africa and stuff like that actually uh, it's really interesting how you see these connections um, but they, so there's some connection there. So he's in Granada and he sends, him, he sends Ibn Abad this letter. And he's the, ba the great faqih and usuli and scholar of Granada. And he's sending this letter to Ibn Abad, who's known to be like the, the sheikh of the Sufis of his time. You know? And he's asking him in this letter, um, he's saying, we had this, dis you know, there's an issue that's come up here in Granada. And the scholars have different opinions on it. And we want to see what your opinion is. And he says, this is, هَلْ عَلَى السَّالِكِ إِنَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى أَنْ يَتَّخِذَ لِزَامًا شَيْخَ طَرِيقَةً وَتَرْبِيَةً يَسْلُكُ عَلَى يَدَيْهِ أَمْ يَسُوغُ لَهُ أَنْ يَكُونَ سُلُكُهُ إِنَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى مِنْ طَرِيقِ التَّعَلَّمِ وَالتَّلَقِّ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ دُونَ أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُ شَيْخَ طَرِيقَةً So he says, basically we have this question. And this question is, the person who's trying to journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, are they required to take a shaykh of a Sufi order, you know, like Shaykh are they required to take this kind of person who will help them and guide them and help them to grow? Or is it sufficient for them or is it possible for them in their journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to spend time with people of knowledge uh, and, and learn from them and benefit from them without having like this shaykh who guides them spiritually? Okay, you understand the question? Anyone have any questions about the question? It's pretty clear, right? So he says, this is the question that we have. One of the things to note here is that because, you know, we, again, we live in a time of mass confusion, but uh, he's the he is one of the top scholars of Granada. Granada is one of the great centers of Islamic civilization and learning and knowledge and everything else. He's saying, we have this question, us, the scholars of Granada, and we don't know really the answer to it. So we're going to send it to you and Faz, because Faz is even bigger than Granada, and we're going to see what you think. And you're the sheikh of these things, you know? So we want to see what you say about this. Uh, my point in saying all this is not to say one side or the other. My point in saying all of this is to recognize that the scholars were discussing it. So, whatever side you take, the scholars were discussing it and they were okay with it. Like, it's not, uh, you know, some are saying do it this way, some are saying do it that way, some are saying you have to, some are saying, that's okay. Like, it's, and my point in bringing this up is to note that this is like a standard part and parcel of Islamic history, this idea of a, of a sheikh who will guide people and so on. So Ibn Abad, he gets this letter and then he, he responds back to him. And he says the following. Maybe I should read this section because I think this is an important issue. Uh, it's a very long passage, but uh, let me try to just translate it on the fly. 
So he writes back to him and he says, the sheikh that one seeks in their spiritual wayfaring, uh, they are two in their suluk. This is in their suluk. Their suluk is like fixing their character and, their, you know, and, and improving their relationship with Allah. So the, the sheikh that one seeks in their spiritual, let's just call it spiritual wayfaring. These terms are funny, but it's okay. They're suluk. Uh, there are two. One is sheikh ta'lim and one is sheikh tarbiyah. Uh, uh, sorry, the Shaykh Ta'lim wa Tarbiyah wa Shaykh Ta'lim bila Tarbiyah. So he says there's two possibilities. One is a Shaykh of outward knowledge and like Ta'lim, they educate the person on the teachings of Islam and so on and so forth. And they're also a Shaykh of inward education. And the other possibility is that the Shaykh is just a Shaykh of the outward knowledge and they're not playing this role of Tarbiyah. By the way, this is the usage of Tarbiyah in, in the Islamic uh, history. And now in modern Arabic, we use it for education. But in Islamic history, tarbiyah was almost, it was all, it was very commonly used in this particular context. That there's Sheikh tarbiyah. Not, it wasn't like used for everything, you know. It was only for this specific like spiritual uh, education type issue. And it wasn't like given to just anyone. Like, you know, if someone like, you know, sits in a circle for a couple years or something, now they can be a Sheikh of tarbiyah. Or they can, they can provide some tarbiyah, they can be a murabbi. This murabbi role was only for a shaykh who has reached that role. And one of the conditions of it is that they have a sufficient amount of outward knowledge. Like they will have mastered the Islamic sciences. They have, so, anyways, you know, some people understand what I'm saying. Uh, if you want to ask more, you can ask more later. So he says, uh, so the shaykh of tarbiyah is not necessary for everyone. But the ones who are in need of it are the ones who have some level of, like, they don't understand things very quickly and they have a hard time with themselves. <laughs> so one of the questions that comes to mind is, <laughs> like, are any of us free from that? <laughs> like, you know, some people, they don't understand things very quickly. You have to explain a number of times, a number of times you're explaining it, trying to get it, it doesn't come through, so on and so forth. And then some people, they have, he says, uh, the nafs is like, it's not obeying them. Self, they tell themselves to do something, and they're not able to do it. And then they come the next day, they tell themselves to do something, they're not able to do it. So he says this Shaykh of Tarbiyah is not needed for everyone, they're needed for the one who has these issues. As for the one whose intellect is very strong, and their self-discipline is very strong, then it, it may not be required in their case that they have such a person. Uh, but even still, for them to have such a person is better for them. Uh, he says, however, the sheikh of ta'lim, the sheikh of education, that is required upon everyone. He says, anyone who's trying to have any sort of relationship with Allah, a sheikh of outward education is required upon them. Because we can't do anything in our relationship with Allah without learning about Islam. Right? We can't just, it's not done through ignorance. So someone, we have to learn about our religion and then we, we practice the religion. He says, as for um, uh, the sheikh of tarbiyah, he's required for the ones, the requirement of that sheikh for the ones that we mentioned, it's clear. Because their base selves are so overcoming them and so clouding them that they're not able to fix it themselves. They need someone else to help them. Um, so they'll, they'll, they'll aid them and they'll give them guidance and they'll give them kind of like the um, advices and things that will help them to overcome themselves and treat themselves so that they can get over these things. Uh, 
Um, and as for the one who doesn't need this person because you know they're they're able to fall, think properly and able to discipline themselves, um, then their ability to do that those things, think properly and discipline themselves, that will suffice them. Um, and so if that's the case, then all they need to do really is they have the sheikh that they learn from, and they do the things that they're learning about. And as they do the things that they're learning about, then inshallah they will reach to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they will be fine and they will be, you know, they will go about their journey like that. Um, and he says that relying on the sheikh of tarbiyah is the way of the later imams of Sufism, and, and the relying on the sheikh of education is the way of the early imams. And when you read the books, you'll find this. And he mentioned, this is all from Ibn Abad. You know, this is, Ibn Abad is, uh, he died in uh, 792. So this is, you know, almost 700 years ago. This is all, this is, he's saying this 600 years ago. He says, you'll see this from the books that you see from the past, like the books of Al-Harith and Muhasibi. This one, right? And he says, and like the books of Abu Talib and Mekki and others. Uh, and, and those, um, because they didn't actually mention that you have to take the Shaykh of Tarbiyah and that they have to follow them the way that he was mentioned in the, in the later books. Um, but rather they would mention like when, what this book is about. What are the foundations of the spiritual path? What are the most important things? What are the other things that are going to help you? How do I understand them? What should come first? What should come later? All of that stuff is in a book like this one. Uh, and also in the book of Abu Talib and Mekki, which is considered like one of the early books in spirituality. It, Imam Ghazani depended upon it a lot in the Ihya. Uh, so this is the early way. But the later scholars, they tended to emphasize the importance of the Sheikh of Tarbiyah. Uh, because, you know, they felt that that was more beneficial for people. Let me summarize. I wasn't actually planning to do this whole section, but I felt it's necessary. Uh, so one of the things to note about that is that if both are required, or both are there, and one of them is always required and one of them is not, so what's the foundation of it all? Is that knowledge, right? And that's the thing that's really, uh, you know, we have to always remember. In the end of the day, the ultimate shaykh is the Prophet It's the ultimate shaykh. So our goal is to know the Prophet to know the way of the Prophet and, uh, and then to understand, like, how is it that our people of knowledge thought about this religion? And because what will happen is, we'll learn about the Prophet but then we might find things from people that we're looking up to as sheikhs and stuff like that. And we might feel like they're wrong, but then we'll tell ourselves things like, well, I don't really know, and this and that. No. This is why. When you study, you know. So you know, you know what? This is actually wrong. And I'm not going to make excuses for it. I'll make excuses maybe, I don't know. Like, I don't know why the person did this or whatever else. But I'm not going to make excuses in the sense that I'm going to say that it's okay. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And people that we look up to and people who uh, are good can make mistakes. And people who are seemingly good can make a lot of mistakes. And maybe they're not as good as we thought they were. And there's a lot of possibilities, you know. Um, but we don't need to belabor that too much. 
The reason I say that is because some things, sometimes we look up to someone and they make a mistake, and then we just like get really upset with them. But that's like, I'm talking about small things now, you know? And it's not the end of the world for a small thing. Maybe they did a lot of good, but they had to do this thing that wasn't like... By the way, I'm talking about sometimes people are really critical and like, they said salam to the person and they didn't like the way that they responded in the salam. Or they were trying to talk to them and they didn't give them the attention they wanted to and stuff like this. These are things that are like, we expect them from people, but there could be any number of reasons why they did that, you know? But then there's other mistakes that are like, you know, they stole money from the masjid or they um, had relationships outside of marriage or whatever else it might be. This is different, okay? They, they abuse people, they take advantage of people. That's a whole different category of things, okay? And so we should deal with things accordingly. Anyways, Allah guide us. Hey, to go back to the text, he says, وَإِنَّمَا يُمَيِّزُ ذَلِكَ وَيَرْغَبُ فِيهِ أَهْلُ الْعَقْلِ وَالْفَهْمِ عَنِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى الَّذِينَ عَمِلُوا فِي إِحْكَامِ الظَّاهِرِ وَتَنَزَّهُوا عَنِ الشُّبُهَاتِ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ الْحَلَالُ بَيَّنْ وَالْحَرَامُ بَيَّنْ وَبَيْنَ ذَلِكَ أَمُورٌ مُشْتَبِهَاتٌ تَرْكُهَا خَيْرٌ مِنْ أَخْذِهَا One of the things about this uh, critical edition is there's like all these great comments in the bottom, but when you read them too much, you kind of get lost from the rhythm of the text. So, uh, I'm, I, I don't know exactly how I should do this. But anyways, he says, so if you remember what, what he was saying before that, is that we're supposed to follow this book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and follow the guidance and all of those things that we were talking about. And if we do that, then we go from the pain of doubt into the ease and the comfort of certainty. And then he says, and the one who's able to distinguish that. His, his, actually, some of the early books, their terminology is really interesting. He says, the one who's able to distinguish that and seek that are those who have intellect and understanding about Allah. They have intellect and they have understanding about Allah. They really understand who was Allah. And that goes beyond just the descriptions, right? Like, Allah is one, Allah has no partners, Allah has no beginning, Allah has no end. Of course, we, we know all of those things. But one of the things that the Qur'an calls us to by telling us those things about Allah, but then also telling us stories about previous people, is that the Qur'an calls us to understand really what does that mean? And like, how does it look in people's lives? And how did it look in the lives of people who came before? And, and as I reflect upon that, I come to a deeper and deeper understanding of really who is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And these, the ones who then are able to understand, like, what do I follow? What do I not follow? Where's the promise? Where's all these things? Are the ones that have this intellect when it comes to their understanding of Allah. They are the ones who amilu fi ihkam al-zahir an shubuhat It means they, they exerted effort to get the external right. They exerted effort to get the external right. This is why you might see sometimes like uh, certain people that come to mind, but maybe I, I shouldn't mention them. But you'll see some people are really like, they're really putting in the effort to, to get things right. You know, they'll be careful about what they're saying, they'll be careful about the way they sit, they'll be careful about the way they talk, the way they speak, the way they look at someone, the, all of their adab and their manners and stuff, they're really putting the effort in to get it right. You know, and that's good, that's ihkam al-zahir. No person is trying to, I'm going to discipline myself in this way. 
you know? And that's necessary. And we've talked about this before in, in martial arts and in sports and stuff. It's, it's the way it goes. Maybe we won't use in martial arts this, this time. But if you use basketball, you know, someone doesn't really, most people like they learn how to play basketball just by playing with their friends, right? But if they start to get more serious about it, maybe they have a coach or something that comes and they tell them when you shoot, you know, put your arm this way and don't put it that way and do this and that and so on and so forth. And when they try to make those adjustments, the first response to that is that it feels really awkward. And they have to kind of force it a little bit. Right? So, like, maybe they're accustomed to having their elbow out, but they're told the elbow should be in. So it takes a little bit of ihkam. Like, I'm going to have to force this thing a little bit so I can get this elbow in the right place. And they're doing what's right. But actually, they're not the one who's arrived at what they're supposed to arrive at. You know? So what's interesting about that is that, like, Great sheikhs will do all of these things right, but they won't even look like they're trying. You understand? Like, it just, they already put the effort in. You know, a great shooter is not going to be like struggling to shoot to make sure everything is right. They already did that. They did that for years and years and years and years, and they put up thousands and thousands of shots, and now the shot comes natural, right? Same thing with ihkam al You have to put in the effort to fix. Like, I have to get my outward right. I'm going to put in the effort, I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to fix it over such an extended period of time that now it just comes naturally. And we're just going to move with it. There's like a level beyond. And this is actually, I think, a part of the sunnah of the Prophet that's like the, the next stage in a sense. You, know, you see people who are like, they get really serious about Islam and they get really kind of like particular about everything. You know, But still there's like, I want to see, you know, like we want to see the step after that. When, yeah, you were particular about everything, but now it just became natural, it became smooth. You know? That's really, that's, that's an amazing thing to see. You'd be like, wow, subhanAllah, that's... Uh, um, that's the difference between the white belt and the black belt. It's the same technique. It just feels different. So they, they fix the, 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 the outside. وَتَنَزَّهُ عَمِ الشُّبُهَاتِ And they freed themselves from doubtful things. Anything that's doubtful, they, they, they made their, out, their external right and they got away from anything that's doubtful. Right? So they really they took this strong path. Right? It's, they took this thing seriously. And the Prophet وسلم, he said the halal is clear and the haram is clear. And between them there are things that are uh, not so clear. And then he says after that in Muhasibi, and to leave them is better than to do them. To leave them is better than to do them. One of the things that, um, so this is a famous hadith, it's in the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawi, rahimahullah. Uh, those things that are unclear are not those things that there's difference of opinion about. Okay, I want to be clear on this. Sometimes people understand it that way. And there are people who will talk about it that way, you know, even people of knowledge. And... Like, if we were to take everything that there's difference of opinion on and say, I have to take the harder opinion, you would have an extraordinarily difficult religion. You know? Uh, is, is it, should it be this way? Should it be that way? Should it be, I'm going to just follow the hard opinion on everything. It's going to be very difficult. Um, and so, this is more like things that you're really actually not sure. You know? Like, say... <laughs> I shouldn't give this example. Uh, let me modify it a little bit to not make your lives miserable. 
but let's say like you're going to eat in some country, okay? And you think it's possible that Christians slaughtered this meat, this chicken or whatever that I'm going to eat. But it's possible that they didn't. Like it's maybe the maybe the country's mixed. Maybe there's like some Christians and then there's a good amount of like Buddhists. I don't know what country that would be, but let's just there's a country like that. I'm sure there is, but it's not coming to mind. And so you're going to eat now and you're not sure. So here is this is an issue actually where there's doubt. So to leave it is better. Okay. Some would argue actually that you have to leave it in this case, but I don't want to get into the details of it. Take it as an example. Or like maybe you go and there's five pots of water that are supposed to all be clean, uh, but you know that one of them, the cat peed in. But you're not really sure which one it is. You don't have any way to know, right? So you're, this is actual doubtful matter. <laughs> you know, there's actual doubt here. You, you dropped $5 and 10 other people dropped $5. And you find $5 in the parking lot. You don't actually know, is it your $5 or is it their $5? You don't actually know, right? These are mushtabihat. These are issues that are unclear. Right? To leave them is better than to do them, okay? As a general rule in matters of spirituality, the person starts by doing everything that's obligatory, staying away from things that are haram. And, and as part of that, and it's not like everything is like, finish this, then go to the next type thing. Everything kind of like, it's, fluid, it's more fluid than that, right? But a, a person then will, after, uh, as they journey like this, they will also leave things that are optional. You know, like you could do this, but I'm just not going to do it. And because I just, I, I don't want to have that. Maybe you could talk, you could talk about any number of things. But they choose not to talk. Because maybe I'm talking about something that's halal, but eventually it's going to end up somewhere else. You know, so that it's not a... Uh, is it haram in and of itself? No. But they're trying to have extra caution. The person will have extra caution on what they're doing. Then he comes and he says, فَفْحَسْ عَنَ النِّيَّةِ وَعْرِفَ الْإِرَادَةِ فَإِنَّ الْمُجَازَةِ بِالنِّيَّةِ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ بِالنِّيَّاتِ وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِّ مْرِئٍ مَا نَوَى He says, so search for the niyyah. So search for the niyyah. It's a beautiful expression, actually. فَفْحَصْ عَنِ النِّيَّةِ فَفْحَصْ عَنِ النِّيَّةِ And so he says, search for the intention. And وَعْرِفْ an irada, And know the irada that you have. So the idea here is that a person has intention. Right? What, do I, what am I trying to do? Trying to come closer to Allah. Okay. That's the most important intention, right? There's all kinds of other intentions we could have. I want to meet this person, I want to spend time with this person, I want to smile, I want to take care of my family, I want to do all of these other things. But what is the primary intention? primary intention is I want to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all of the actions that are happening under that are going to be affected by that primary intention. And then he says, وَعَرِفْ an irada." Know, uh, get, get to understand the irada. Uh, and this irada is a very important concept um, in spirituality also. That the person is the person who has irada is a person who has he, they, he or she is murid, you know they have a desire to know Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. They have a desire to be close to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So he's saying, know what your intention is and know what your motivation is, and as you do that, then know that the reward is based on the intention. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said 
Actions are by their intentions, and every person will have that which they intended. Actions are by their intentions, and everyone will have that which they intended. Uh, here in the footnotes now, he gives a lot of beautiful quotes about intentions and the importance of intentions. So he says, um, for example, that from the greatest blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on, on his servant is that they are rewarded by their intentions. So they're able then to increase in the amount of intentions that they have that are pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as a result of it, they can uh, basically make savings <laughs> of the reward that they're able to get uh, because of that. Even if they don't do the thing, but they, intend, they, they had an intention to do it, uh, if they were able to do so. Okay. So one of the early people, Abu Safwan, he said, Ahadu Salaf, he said, He said, there's no body that was so weak that it couldn't have an intention. There's no body that was so weak that it couldn't have an intention. So a person then we increase the intentions. I want to come, I want to, please Allah. And I want to say salam to the Muslims. And I want to be in a gathering where the angels are present. And I want to seek Allah's forgiveness. And I want to smile at my brothers and sisters. And I want to do acts of service. And I want to eat food that's halal and, and good. And I want to eat it in the company of good people. And I want to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I want to, and these are all intentions, right? And the person can make all of these intentions. And maybe they go in and they have all of those intentions and they don't even do half of them. They still get the reward because they had the intention to do it. Right? And this is actually the way the, the strength and the quantity of the intention is what distinguishes people actually in their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some people have really strong intentions. And the quality of it is so good that it just like pulls khair behind it. Just it, the, the khair comes because the intention is so strong and they're just, they're moving. It's like when you, you know, like uh, when you see these animals that are like pulling a sleigh or something and it just comes behind them. Like it's just, they're moving and the thing is moving with it. It's coming either way. So the intentions, they, they pull people like this. Uh, towards all kinds of good things. Um, and uh, there's a story of Imam Ahmed with his son. قَالَ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بِنْ أَحْمَدِ بِنْ حَمْبَلْ قُلْتُمْ لِأَبِي يَوْمًا أَوْسِنِي يَا أَبَا فَقَالَ يَا بُنَيَّ إِنْوِنْ خَيْرٍ فَإِنَّكَ لَا تَزَالُ بِخَيْرٍ مَا نَوَيْتٍ خَيْرٍ What a statement. Like if you say Imam Ahmed, right? Like he's the great Imam, the, the fourth of the four Imams. The one who went through all of this difficulty and all of the hardship. He was, he was tortured by three different khalifas. Right? He, was the old, he was like literally the last man standing on the, on the sunnah and on the belief of the Muslims and so on. And you know, all of these things that he went through, his son asks him for advice. What is the advice he gives him? Have good intentions. When you have, he, says, he says, my son, have good intentions. Intend good. Because as long as you intend good, uh, because you will have good as long as you intend good. So my son, intend good because you will have good as long as you intend good. This is, this is his advice. Because it's a very comprehensive advice. You know? uh, Ibrahim al-Nakhai, uh, he says about someone else, uh, he says, that this person wouldn't do anything except with a good intention. Even their drinking of water, they would do with intention. 
Every sip of water they drink, they have an intention behind it. Allah, I'm giving myself nourishment so that I can keep myself healthy and I can worship you. Everything that they did, they had intention behind it. Uh, and the same is for, uh, and as regards to the bad intention, the bad intention, we only get bad deed for it if we actually do it. But if a person intends something bad and then they stop themselves, they actually get a good deed for that. Okay? Uh, so then, uh, Shaykh Abu Ghadda, rahimahullah, he says, فَأَخْلِسْ لِلَّهِ تَعَالَى النِّيَّةِ وَأَحْسِنِ الطَّوِيَّةِ وَتَلَقَّى ثَوَابَ رَبِّ الْبَرِيَّةِ He says, so make your niyyah, your intention sincere for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then carry things out in the right way and you will meet the reward of the Lord of all of creation subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay. And he continues, he says, وَلْزَمْ تَقْوَ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّ الْمُسْلِمَ مَنْ سَلِمَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ مِنْ لِسَانِهِ وَيَدِي وَالْمُؤْمِنَ مَنْ أَمِنَ النَّاسُ بِبَوَائِقَهُمْ قَالَ أَبُو بَكْرِ السِّدِّيقِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ عَنْهُمْ اتَّقِ اللَّهَ بِطَاعَتِهِ وَأَطِيعَ اللَّهَ بِتَقْوَاهُ وَكُفَّ يَدِكَ يَدَكَ عَنْ دِمَاءِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَبَطَنَكَ عَنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ وَلِسَانَكَ عَنْ أَعْرَاضِهِمْ وَحَاسِبْ نَفْسَكَ فِي كُلِّ خَطْوَةٍ خَطْرَةٍ Sorry, فِي كُلِّ خَطْرَةٍ So he says, uh, actually this is um, Is it the end of his? Yeah. I think Abu Bakr ends at Um I'll translate. So it says, be, be constant with the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the Muslim, this is a quote of the hadith, the Muslim is the one who the other Muslims are safe from their tongue and their hands. The Muslim is the one who the other Muslims are safe from their tongue and their hands. This is like one of the, you could say this is a core hadith on safe spaces, you know. The Muslim is the one who the other Muslims are safe from their tongue and their hand. And the believer is the one who other people are safe from uh, their harm. Other people are safe from their harm. Why did, this is a, it's a play on words, but it's, an, it's not really a play on words. It's, a, it's an understanding of what the words mean. Because this is a Muslim, من سليم المسلمون من لسانه ويديه the Muslim is the one who the other Muslims have salam from their hand and their tongue. So this is the actual meaning of the word. The actual meaning of the word Muslim is that other people are uh, free from, safe from them. And the mu'min is the same. The mu'min is the one who other people, they have safety also from them. Right? So uh, these are the actual meaning of the words. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, have awareness of Allah through his obedience. And have and obey Allah through having this awareness with Him. So and basically these things go together. So you feel like your taqwa is not strong enough? Do what Allah told you to do. Your taqwa will increase. And do what Allah told you to do, your taqwa will increase. Have taqwa, your obedience to Allah will increase. So these things will go hand in hand. Then he says, uh, and keep your hands away from the blood of the Muslims. And keep your stomach away from their wealth. Because this is the way that this expression is used in Arabic. Like when you eat people's wealth, is when you steal their wealth. So it says, keep, keep your hand away from their, their honor and their sanctity. Keep your stomach away from their wealth. And keep your tongue away from their honor. Well, don't dishonor them. Don't talk about them in a way that's not appropriate. And then, 
take account of yourself in every single thought. Take account of yourself in every single thought. Uh, Ibn Qayyim has some important commentary on this. Uh, yeah. They use it a lot. Some psychologists like this one. Ibn Qayyim said, Dafi'an khatra fa'in lam taf'al sarat shahwa fa'haribha fa'in lam taf'al sarat azima wa himma fa'in lam tudafi'aha sarat fi'ala fa'in lam tatadarakhu fi ziddihi sarat aada fayas'ubu alayka al-intiqalu anha So he says that when you have a thought that passes through your mind that should be avoided then repel it. Because if you don't do that, then that, that passing thought will turn into a desire. And if it turns into a desire, then wage war on it. Okay? Because if you don't do that, then it will become like something that you're really passionate for. And you're exerting effort for. And if you, and if you don't stop that, put a stop to that, then it will become something that you do. And if it becomes something that you do, and you don't treat it by doing its opposite, then it will become a habit for you. And once it becomes a habit for you, it will be very difficult to move on from it. Okay? So he's saying, like, be careful of these things. And, you know, it's very often you hear these conversations, like I t tell people, like, love is very, love, quote-unquote, is very similar to addiction. Right? It has, like, steps that lead up to it. <laughs> and if you fall into it, it's very difficult to get out of it. If you stop it at some point along the way, you'll be like, okay, this is going too far, this is maybe a line I shouldn't cross, so I'm going to step back a little bit. Then a person is able to maintain certain boundaries and do what they're supposed to do. But if it goes a little bit too far, then now it becomes like something that they're doing. And if, if and they entertain that thing that they're doing, they're having these conversations that are longer than they should be, they're talking about things maybe they shouldn't be talking about, there's more intimacy in it than there should Actually, not more. There's intimacy in it when the intimacy shouldn't be there and all of these type of things. Then it becomes a habit. And once it becomes a habit, it's very hard to break. And then people are like, well, I can't do it. You know. But habits also, you just break them. It sounds really cold. But like, it's harder, harder said, harder, you know, easier said than done, as they say. Easier said than done. But there's a pain to it. And you break it. And it's painful. And then afterwards it goes away. Uh, it, it's just some things are much harder to do that for than others, and some things take longer than others, and so on. You know, sugar is a pretty rough one. Coffee is a pretty rough one. You know, it's not just these other things, but that's the way things work. And all of them are shared. Like human, human. This is the human system. Right? Human beings are not compartmentalized. This is the way human beings work. Right. So, uh, alhamdulillah, so Allah has given us this system. It's so beautiful. So pay attention then to these ideas and these thoughts that pass through and try to get in between them. If they're not good things, then we try to get in between them. Okay. He says, and be aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every breath. So when people be like, you know, this breathing thing, yeah, maybe we don't have to do it exactly the way everyone else does it. But there is some conversation of breaths. Like, Muhasibi is really early, as we talked about before. It's very early. He's saying, be aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every breath. Every breath that comes in, think of Allah. Every breath that comes in, 
there's something that's taking place. There's some right that's needed. I, I think Shaykh Ahmed talks about that a little bit because there's a hikmah about it in the hikam. Uh, and Omar radiallahu an he said, Hasibu anfusikum qabla an tuhasabu, wazinuha qabla an tuzanu, wa tazayyanu lil ard al akbari yawma la takhfa minkum khafiya. Omar radiallahu an he said, Hold yourselves accountable before you are held accountable, and weigh yourselves, weigh your deeds before they are weighed, and beautify yourself for the ultimate showing. The ultimate showing is on the day of resurrection, right? Beautify yourself for the ultimate showing on a day when there will be nothing that's not seen. Like everything is everything is exposed on that day. So make sure that you're beautiful for that day. It's a very, uh, very nice expression. Huh? How's dinner? What's the dinner situation? You're good to go? Alright. هذا وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم الحمد لله رب العالمين. Any questions or comments anyone has? Yes. Definitely we have to slow down. You have to slow down to speed up. Same thing with the external stuff. You know, you have to slow down to... Uh, same thing with all those things, even in physical stuff. You're shooting the basketball, you're learning something. You have to slow down. And once we slow down, then the muscle memory kicks in and you start to understand it better. And the same thing is with intentions. That we have to slow down and make intention and make intention and make intention eventually. And, uh, you know, many things in the sunnah are there to help us with this. Like the different du'as for different occasions. You know? There's a du'a for when you eat. There's a du'a for when you drive. There's a du'a for when you go to the restroom, when you leave the restroom. There's a du'a for all of these things because it helps us to set our intentions and to kind of uh, be present with whatever it is that we're doing. Allah give us tawfiq. And then in the end, you know, dhikr also does that because the dhikr puts the person and connects their heart to Allah. And the idea is that eventually if a person is consistent enough in dhikr, then the heart is just always with Allah. And that's really good. <laughs> you know, then the intentions are automatically there and the heart is already there. And alhamdulillah. You know, and of course, it's always, always, always remember. But yeah, we have to slow down. Can? How can we slow down if we have too many things to do? Yeah, that's why I like one one sheikh. I heard him talking about balancing things one time, and he was like, "No, actually, the problem is not balancing things. The problem is that some things just need to be cut out." <laughs> you know, you can't. Sometimes there's too there's too many things to balance. 
No, you're not going to be able to balance it because there's too many things. Some things are going to have to get cut out. And in the end of the day, we're not in charge. Allah is in charge. You know, we don't have to do everything. Allah will do things. Allah will take care of things. Uh, Imam Zaid, I think he's here today or yesterday, he said, Hafizahullah. He said that um, uh, the graveyard is full of people who, who, who thought they were indispensable. <laughs> you know, I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do this. If I don't do this, nobody else. Yeah, you know, someone else will do it. Uh, Allah's religion has been here. You know, inshallah. And of course, that doesn't negate that we want to do good things. Yeah, we try to do good things, and but sometimes it's just not there. And uh, and this is something I think we need to be care. We need to be really careful about because I feel like we, especially in Southern California, we have this culture of like. The only way to do things is to kill yourself. Like you have to really, like if they're not putting in 60, 80 hours a week, they don't really care. No, why? Why, why does it have to be like that? You know, it doesn't have to be like that. If that's the entrepreneur, you have to have the hustle, you have to have the entrepreneur life. And so, no, you don't. <laughs> you have to do what you have to do and Allah will take care of what, you know, the rest of it and it's okay. I always, uh, we know someone who started working for this uh, company that has people that are from Europe and stuff like that. And they got on the phone calls and uh, with the team and everything. And they're like, man, you Americans are something like, you just never stop. Like, can you just stop working? Because we're not working right now. <laughs> you know, like, you guys want to work forever, work forever, but we don't work forever. You know, so there's like a clash of culture. It's not, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, uh, so, so what if we don't build all the biggest things in the world? We're going to be like, oh man, I didn't like land on the moon. Oh, I'm going to be upset if like people's rights were taken and the climate, climate was, was devastated and the nature was destroyed and stuff like that. All that stuff's going to matter too. So I'll just like finish it as soon as I can so I can consume more. Allah help us. Allah help us. Yes. What's the case for the person who makes an intention that they know they won't be able to fulfill? I think they should make it as Allah, I, w I wish I could do this thing and if you were able, and if you were to give me the ability to do this thing, Allah, then give me the tawfiq to do it but this is, it's more of like a an aspiration than a like, hamma, you know um, There's lots of things we would love to do and intend to do but it's just we shouldn't like be kind of um, like it shouldn't be I'm going to go to the majlis tonight and I'm going to have a really deep life altering conversation with every single person there like no it's, that's not going to happen <laughs> <You know? laughs> make intentions that are reasonable and then if it's not reasonable then it's something that Allah I wish I had the ability to do this you know I wish I had the ability to give more. I wish I had the ability to do this. I wish I had the ability to do that, whatever else it might be. But this is my limitation. So it's an intention in a sense, but it's not like a, it's like a long-term intention. Yeah, I have a lot of those. Like I intend to study some Islam someday. Okay, anyone else?
have anything? Throw hands on deck over there, ready for you guys to enjoy these tacos. Yeah? Alright. Bismillah. Bismillah. Subhanakum bihamdik bishara wa la astaghfiruka wa tubi alayk. Allahumma inna sanika al-huda wa tuqa wa al-afafu wa al-ghina. Allahumma astaghfiruka bi sitrika al-jameel. Allahumma inna sanika al-afu al-afiyah wa al-afat al-daima fi al-dunya wa al-dunya wa al-akhir. Rabbana atina fi al-dunya hasanata wa fi al-akhirati hasanata wa qina adha bin-nar. Rabbana la tuzil qunubana ba'da idha ilaytina wa habana la min ladunka rahma innaka antum rahab. Rabbana la tuzil qunubana, Rabbana atina min ladunka rahmatan wa hiya lana min amrin rashada. اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وزقنا اتباعه وأرنا باطلا باطلا وزقنا اجتنابه اللهم زقنا حسن الخاتمة اللهم زقنا حسن الخاتمة اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك اللهم يا عالم السر منا لا تهتك السطر عنا وعافنا وعف عنا وكنا حيث كنا اللهم إنقذ قلوبنا لا كنا بهنا من الغفلة عنك اللهم جعل آخر كلامنا لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله عدد كمال الله كما يليق بكمال سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المسلمين والحمد لله رب العالمين. Of course, make dua for those who have made the dinner. بارك الله فيهم الله بس لهم and their family. Give them all good إن شاء الله. آمين. And Marcus has some announcements. I think that's.